Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I've had a number of you ask, so I'll, I'll answer publicly. A couple of weeks ago, it was mentioned that I had an uh, emergency dental visit, and uh, um, I have a tooth that needs to be taken care of. I still haven't had that done, so uh, hopefully... Um, I can get it taken care of before the pain returns, but uh, I have an appointment tomorrow, so hopefully we'll get that taken care of. Probably need a root canal, so pray for me about that. I don't like to have dental work done of any kind, so not looking forward to that. Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we are going to look, continue through the Sermon on the Mount, and just a little bit of a review, because it's been a few weeks. Uh, of a reminder of what was going on. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was preaching a message and he was talking basically about what it means to uh, be a believer, what it looks like. And so he went through the, uh, the Beatitudes and then he got into an area, starting in verse 17, of, uh, of keeping the law, but yet he made a statement in verse 20 that said that unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the point of what Jesus was trying to say was, as a believer, we need to pursue a different type of righteousness than the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They were following the law as perfectly as they thought they could. But yet, uh, what Jesus was trying to address was the heart issues. And so then he begins to give some examples, and we talked a few weeks ago about anger in verse 21 and what that looks like. And today we want to get into Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27, he gets into another illustration. And so you can follow along as I read. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. And Lord, I pray that you help us as we look at this topic that we will take sin as seriously as you do. And that will take the pursuit of righteousness as seriously as you do. Lord, I know that this is an area that oftentimes is secret and hidden. But I pray that you will allow your word to penetrate into those hidden parts of the heart and convict those that need to be convicted. And Lord, I pray that you help us to um, understand what your word has. Lord, be with me as I preach. Lord, help me to share your words and not my own. We ask this in your name. Amen. This is a very difficult topic uh, to talk about. It's a very difficult topic to hear preached. Um, I was, uh, as I was going through a few months ago, planning out my messages, I, I realized this would be the message I preached right when I came back from vacation. And I thought, <laughs> couldn't I preach on something easy? But that's not how it worked out. Many people, and maybe you're here today and you struggle with this topic. Maybe you struggle with this issue. And, and as I said in my prayer, a lot of times it's a very private issue and so many people struggle and they think that they're alone. And I don't think that's the case. 
Uh, I heard an old uh, a story one time of an old pre- priest, and he was a very wise man. And he was asked by a young man. He said uh, he was asked this. He said, "Father, when will I cease to be bothered by the sins of the flesh?" And the priest responded this way. He said, "Son, I I wouldn't trust myself until I'd been dead for at least three or four days." We're dealing with a subject that has the potential to destroy many lives. And Jesus is continuing uh, the thought that our righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he turns to a subject that has hit many homes in our country. And as I've spent many times counseling people, I see this is a topic that impacts many, many people. Men and women and teenagers. And even at times kids. And it's one that has caused many marriages to end in divorce, which we'll talk about next week. Most of you probably aren't going to run around uh, and, and get involved with physical relationship outside of your marriage. Most of you probably are not going to be unfaithful to your wife or cheat on your husband. Most of you, the battleground, though, is in your mind. The greatest temptation we face is the invitation to participate in our mind in a world of virtual reality where we don't think we actually are sinning. And what's happening is, is we're lured to do it in our hearts. The religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, felt that as long as they did not act out the deed of adultery, they were okay. They felt that they were fine. They were innocent before God. Remember, Jesus is saying now, let's set a higher standard. Let's go above what the scribes and Pharisees thought. Let's do something that's even different. And he's dealing with the heart issue. We live in a culture where there's a steady stream of sexual immorality in everything, from books to television to commercials to movies to music to internet that constantly is calling on you, it's constantly calling on me to fall into this hideous sin. We often hear, well, it doesn't hurt to look, does it? Pornography in our nation is is a huge industry. The annual amount that is spent on pornography ranges in the area of $12 to $13 billion a year. That's more money than Coca-Cola and McDonald's combined. It's a huge problem. It's a huge industry. Can we, can we look as long as we don't act? In 1990, there was over 300 million X-rated videos sold. That's more than one for every man, woman, and child in our country. That was in 1990. Since then, with the internet, sales and rentals of adult videos have risen astronomically and have gone way off the charts. In our society, we're bombarded by temptation in the area of sexual purity. According to an article that was written in the American Family Association Journal, over 90% of all sexual activity that's portrayed on TV, and I mean anything from kissing to beyond, over 90% that was portrayed on TV occurred between people who were not married. Over 90%. Today we're going to see what Jesus has to say about adultery. At what point are we committing sin and what we think is not a big deal and yet it's destroying your life, your family, your marriage? 
We'll look at it from three aspects. And the first one is the deed of adultery. Look back again, if you will, in verse 26. Jesus said to them, as he did with these other topics, uh, anger we looked at, and, uh, and we're going to look at some more later, but he said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Where does that come from? Obviously, we know that's one of the uh, Ten Commandments. And Jesus uh, continues on this stream of thought of, let's take our righteousness to the next level in this area of adultery. The sixth commandment is, thou shalt not murder. And in that, he's protecting the sanctity of life. But in the next one, the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, is protecting the sanctity of marriage. What does it mean to commit adultery? A Sunday school teacher teaches kids, was telling a story one time, and said they had completed uh, were in the process of completing a lesson on the Ten Commandments, and he sat down with the kids, and he said to them, what is the hardest commandment for you to keep? And they began responding, and what he found out was most of them responded the same thing. They said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, he thought this was odd for young children to say that this was the hardest one to keep. Why was it that this was the hardest one to keep? And so one of the mothers sat down with her son and said, why did you say thou shalt not commit adultery is the hardest to keep? What do you think committing adultery means? It's always a scary question to ask a kid. Without even blinking, the boy replied, thou shalt not talk back to adults. Okay, that's not what it means to commit adultery. So maybe there was some education that needed to occur there. So what is adultery? In the Old Testament, adultery was understood to involve sexual relations between a man and a woman, whether married or single, and another man's wife. It was, it was the primary concern in the charge against adultery as a violation of defiling another man's wife. This sin in Scripture was seen to be punishable by death. If you notice what it says in Leviticus chapter 20, if a man commits adultery with a wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Both of them were, were given this uh, conviction and both of them were sentenced to death. And that is an uh, unbelievable thought. And we, we understand what capital punishment is and, uh, and we kind of hold capital punishment for the most severe of crimes. But yet we see in Scripture here, he's saying, hey, committing adultery is a capital offense. You know, how many, how many uh, people would uh, we have left in our country if that was the case today? said it's, it's a crime that is that serious. The severity of this sin was so much so that God said if you go there, the, the punishment was death. God made faithfulness to marriage relationship uh, very important. Part of his divine will. Why? We have to stop and understand what was the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage was to point people to the love of Christ. And God ordained marriage, and next week we're going to talk about divorce, we'll get into this more next week, but God ordained marriage, God created marriage. And the idea, as Paul tells us in Ephesians, was to, to show to uh, those around us a, 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 uh, the love that he has for us by sending his son to die for us. And we, the church, are his bride. And he wants us to be faithful. And inside marriage, God designed sex. God created sex, and He created it to be enjoyed within the boundary of marriage. You see that throughout Scripture uh, in, in, in many places where He talks about that. 
the enjoyment of sex. Yet, it needed to be something that was a part of the marriage relationship. We need to understand that any sexual activity outside the boundary of marriage is against God's will. And that's what the Old Testament law showed them. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Yet Jesus here is going to go after the heart issue. And he's going to, again, raise the bar of conduct to such a way that if we follow it, we're not going to fall into the trap. So the second thing I want you to notice is the desire of adultery. If you look at verse 28, he says this, he said to them, thou shalt, you heard that it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but he says this, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The Pharisees had taken the, the law, the Ten Commandments, and they've kind of viewed them as ten individual laws. And so they looked at this one, they said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And they said, okay, fine, I can do that. I can be faithful to my wife. But yet, they had reduced it down to that simple aspect, the action of committing adultery. And they hadn't really seen beyond that. And they hadn't put together all the Ten Commandments. Even notice the Tenth Commandment. What is the Tenth Commandment? Thou shalt not covet. What does it say in the Tenth Commandment when it says thou shalt not covet? It gives us examples. It says don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's servants. And it says specifically, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Even, even in the Ten Commandments, God is addressing the heart issue, but the Pharisees somehow were missing that and were saying, oh, it's just the act of adultery. And that is what Jesus is addressing here as well. They had also learned to follow the letter of the law and not the principle. They had fought, learned to follow, hey, if I'm doing this and I'm faithful to my wife as far as physically, then I'm okay. They weren't following it. And Jesus tells us that if you look at a woman with lust, You've already committed adultery with her in your heart. What does that word look mean? You look in that passage, it says, uh, if you look, if a man looks at a woman, that word looks indicates a continued action. The word denotes thought and purpose. It describes a, per a person that looks uh, the initial glance and allows that initial glance to flourish into thought. As parents, you, you've probably done this before. I've done this with my kids where I'm trying to talk to them and they're totally oblivious to what I'm saying. Ever been there? And so what do I do? I take my son and daughter and I say, look at my eyes. Okay, what do I want? I want their full attention. That is the idea of this look. It's not just a, uh, a, a glance over and then look away. It's, it's a, a look that, that produces thought. And that's what he's saying in this passage. Looking at a woman does not cause a man to commit adultery in his thoughts. But what God is saying here is that when he looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Jesus is telling them that it's not the lustful looking that causes the sin in the heart, but it's the sin in the heart that causes the lustful looking. The lustful looking is an expression of the heart that is already immoral, is already adulterous. You know, it's impossible in our society where sexual images pervade to keep uh, um, lustful thoughts from flickering in our mind. They're there say, uh, how can you say that? It happens all the time. You can't, unfortunately, you can't avoid the images. 
However, we are guilty even to the point of adultery when we fan those flickers into flames. When we allow that look to linger, Jesus is not speaking here of an unexpected, unavoidable exposure to sexual temptation. When a man happens to see a woman inappropriate dress, Satan will try to tempt the man with lustful thoughts. But there's no sin in the initial temptation unless it turns elsewhere. Unless it continues. You say, uh, what do you mean by that? Well, notice what it says in this passage in, in Hebrews. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus faced the same temptation that you and I face every single day. And yet, he didn't sin. It's the continuing to look in order to satisfy a lustful desire that Jesus is condemning here. You know, we, uh, unfortunately, live in a world where you cannot walk down the street without seeing things that you wish you didn't see. And there might be a time when you're walking along and that temptation comes and you have to say, okay, I'm not going to allow that to, to bring a thought to my mind. Jesus is saying here that look is that continuation of what is in there. Notice what James says next here in this passage. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Notice the process there. It's a step. There's a temptation that comes along. And, and maybe, maybe for you it's different things, and maybe it's flipping through the channels and a show comes on and the, the, you feel that the emotion of temptation build. He says, then you're lured in. And when you are lured, it gives birth, it gives place to sin, to desire. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. Lust is an over-controlling desire for something that is not ours. And Jesus is telling them, if we allow our lust to be driven by this over-controlling desire, then we've crossed the line. Let's look at an example in Scripture, and you don't need to turn there because it's one you're familiar with, but David and Bathsheba. What happened there? David saw, David inquired, David acted. David was not at fault for seeing Bathsheba bathing. There was... Uh, probably nothing he could have done to avoid that uh, except for be at a different place. But being there, he glanced and he saw her. He saw her bathing. He could not have helped but notice her. His sin was in dwelling and willingly succumbing to the temptation. He could have looked away and put the experience out of his mind, but he didn't. He lingered on it. He lingered on the thought. He lingered on the action and the fact that he brought her uh, to his chambers and committed adultery with her, expressed the immoral desire that was already in his heart. It wasn't something that the image created. It was something that was already in his heart. That's why Job said what he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? He says, how then? I've, I've made this covenant because I know that if I even go even a little bit too far, I'm going to find myself... Uh, having thoughts I shouldn't have. So he said, I, I'm not even going to look. You know, pornography obviously leads us to wrong thoughts, but there are many things that do as well. 
television shows, movies, video games, magazines, music that promotes sex or sexuality of men or women. If lustful looking is so grievous a sin, then then we need to ask ourselves, uh, what are we doing to prevent it? And we'll get into that in a minute. But also, if lustful looking is such a grievous sin, then those who dress in, in such a way that expose themselves with a desire to be looked at and lusted after are also guilty. And sometimes we don't think about that. Ladies, are, are you drawing, trying to draw attention to yourself? In this matter, it's not only uh, too often the case that men, men sin, but women tempt them to do so. Parents, are you guarding what message your daughter is making with the clothes that she wears? I'm not going to get into that too deeply, but um, I, I think... Scripture, he's making it very clear here that this is a serious matter. How so? Look at what it says next. And next I want to look at the deliverance from the sin of adultery. Notice what he says in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and your whole body go into hell. Here's the solution for the problem. Here's what God is saying. Do you want to solve this problem? He's saying, get a saw and a poker. Yesterday we had a work day. And uh, we have... Um, our house that we own back here is being resited this summer, and so to prepare for that, we needed to get away some of the debris. If you've seen it, there was a lot of growth around it and, and vines, and so we had to get that away, and as we were doing that, we realized that there were some bushes that needed to be taken out, and, and, and we were trying to pull them out, but on some of them, the, the trunk was just too big, and so we realized we needed to get an axe. So I went over to the hardware store, and I got a little hatchet, a little handheld Axe. Now imagine if this week I have someone come to me and they need counseling and they come and they say, you know, I'm really struggling with this area of adultery and I pull out that, I pull out that hatchet and I say, okay, put your right hand down and Psh! you'd be, that's a little extreme. <laughs> that's a little uh, crazy. But that is exactly how serious God takes this. In some cases, part of us want to take it literally because we want to be faithful to Jesus and we don't want to go to hell and we don't want to have uh, Jesus look down and say, uh, you know, you're an adulterer. And, and so we know how sinful we are and so we just say, you know, I want to take that verse seriously. He says in that passage, if you look again, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, if your right hand causes you to sin, that phrase causes you to sin, in the King James it says offended, in the NAS it says make stumble, but the, the basic idea of that is, is if, you're, if, if it causes you to fall, if, if it's something that lures you in, if it's something that affects you, but uh, the form that is used here specifically of a, a bait stick that was there uh, uh, in a trap to, to catch an animal that touches it. As I've said many times, I, I spent uh, three summers working at a camp in Wyoming, and I've told this story to some of you, but uh, I, it's, it goes along with what I'm talking about here. Uh, we worked up in the mountains, and um, we had, uh, many times we had bear problems. Bears would come on the camp ground, and uh, we 
because of our location, there was the, we had to haul our trash to town once a week. And so we had what we called our trash trailer. And it was just a truck bed that uh, had a wood box around it. And, and so many times we would come and uh, wake up in the morning and we would see the trash trailer was, was broken open and you know the trash was gone through and we knew that we had had a bear. And that was always fun. I grew up in the city. I'm a, I'm a city boy by nature. I love the mountains. I love exploring. I love hiking. But that's who I am. And so uh, I thought this, would, this was pretty neat. I wanted to see this bear. And so I thought, uh, me and a friend, we decided we were going to trap the bear ourselves. So we, one day, we got, and we, this was, uh, you know, on a weekend, we, we got, uh, we went out to the trash trailer and we took some different things and we set it up so, and we took, we had had, uh, ribs that day for lunch, and so we took some extra ribs and we put it, uh, wrapped it around this uh, this trailer, and and we trying to lure the the bear there, and then we put I don't know why we thought this was a good idea, but we took an axe, a heavy axe, and we put it up in such a way that if the bear would touch the door, the axe would fall. I don't know what we thought would happen, but we thought it was a good idea. I, I was 19, you know, I thought it was a good idea. But anyway, so we did it, we set it up, and the whole thing, we thought this is going to work, and the next morning we wake up and we run up to the trash trailer, and sure enough, our axe is, is uh, on the ground, the, the ribs are all gone, and there's no sign of the bear, so it, it failed miserably. But our attempt was to try to trap it. That is the idea here of what he's saying, if it causes you to sin. Anything that morally or spiritually traps us, that causes us to fall into sin or to stay in sin should be eliminated quickly and totally. And that's why Jesus said, if it's your hand that's causing you to do that, if it's your eye, the eye and the hand are mentioned as organs of temptation. The eye is the symbol of delight in looking. And He says that if your eye offends you, then He says, literally, tear it out. Take it that seriously. Your hand is a symbol of touching. And he says, if your hand offends you, tear it out. Now if you notice, specifically he says right hand. I'm not making any statements against lefties, but uh, the idea of the culture was the, uh, the popular view was the right was the best. Sorry. But uh, that's why he uses the right there. And so the statement literally is saying there, take it out. Now, the, the, the reality of this statement is it doesn't need to be taken literally. It's not literally not a literal statement, nor is it really a symbolic of self-denial. That's what many people have taken this to mean over time. Okay, this is self-denial. I, I, I read a story of one of the original, one of the church fathers who uh, many people uh, look to as, as being wise, took this so seriously that he actually hurt himself to prevent himself from sinning. But it's a figure of an absolute and painful renunciation of sin. It's the idea of saying, you know what, I renounce my sin, I hate my sin so much that I'll do whatever it takes. Jesus is trying to remind us that we're supposed to take, raise the bar of righteousness. You know, for many of you, me, Maybe this sin of temptation has crept in. We just kind of pass it off as not being a big deal. I saw a stat that said that uh, close to 60 to 75% of men struggle with pornography. 
common. Say, well, if I'm not actually following through with it, then I'm I'm okay. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. And you need to take radical, painful steps to eliminate the problem. What do you need to do? And I just, in in closing here, want to give you some, some steps that we can take. First of all, take serious action to remove the sin. What do you need to remove to keep yourself from allowing these temptations to take place? Maybe you need to stop going to that certain place. Take it seriously. In college, I had a professor that was talking about this topic, and he said that uh, in counseling one time, he was counseling a, a pastor, a pastor who was, who was struggling with sexual temptation. And he said to the pastor, he said, you know, uh, you know, he gave him some pointers and they, they counseled for a while and, and he said, okay, I'll work on this. And he came back the next week and he said, I, I, you know, I, I failed this week, I messed up. He said, okay, here's some more verses and some more scripture. And he, and he said, okay. This went on for two or three weeks where he'd come back and he'd say, I, I failed this week. And finally the counselor said, okay, let's talk through this a little bit. When is your greatest temptation? And he said, when I'm on my way to work, church. He said, what do you mean? What, what comes about that makes that happen? He said, well, there's this particular business I go by, and this, the images and, and everything that comes at me, just it affects my thought process, and it, it, it causes me to have thoughts I shouldn't have. And so the counselor says, okay, let's work on this. Maybe what you should do is go a different way to work. So he sat down, he said, they took a map out, and they said, okay, here's where you live, here's where church is, and where is this business? And the man said, oh, it's over here. So wait, wait a second. You mean you go up here and here? He goes, yeah. And he realized that the problem was the man wanted that temptation. And he said to him, he said, you know, you have to do whatever it takes. You need to find a different way to go. And maybe for you, that's the same. Maybe you need to stay away from that certain place, that certain person, but do whatever it takes to remove that sin, remove that temptation. I said earlier, the temptation is not the sin, but we can remove that temptation if at all possible. And the second part of that is take serious steps to prevent the sin. And that goes along with it, but do whatever it takes. Okay, so I need to eliminate whatever. Maybe for you it's that certain uh, television show or it's uh, certain music. Uh, Stop listening to that music. Say, well, I enjoy it. Maybe you do. We live in a time when so much of it is driven towards thoughts of, of sex. We need to avoid it. God takes it seriously. Do you? Do you? You might like that television show, but you know it's causing temptation. It might be that you need to uh, be on the internet, but it's causing temptation. Whether it means you need to get a a filter or whether it means you need to make sure there's always someone present, take serious steps to do whatever it takes to prevent that sin. And the last and 
very important, is take serious time to renew the mind. We have been so affected by the culture's view of sex. So much so that many Christians are so much like the world that they think the way they think is right when it's not. A young Christian person who watches immoral TV never, uh, uh, excuse me, who never watches immoral TV, never looks at pornography, but listens to music that deals with uh, things that causes them to think about having a relationship with someone has already begun the thought process and has already had their thought process altered. The best thing that we can do is fill our minds with other thoughts than what typically is in there. And that's why in Philippians, Paul said this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. But you know what? Those things cannot be something we're thinking about unless it's something we're filling our minds with. Unless it's something, if you are spending time filtering Scripture through your mind, if you're spending time reading Scripture and focusing on Scripture, you know what? You have a hard time thinking about other things. Maybe it's that you just need to sit and read. I counseled a, a teenager one time that was struggling with, uh, with wrong thoughts. And I said to them, I said, you know what, what you need to do is you need to have, and this was a few years ago, and this was, they, they had on their phone, they had an app where they could read the Bible, and I said, you need to, when you're struggling, just stop and, and read Scripture. I asked him a couple weeks later, I said, how's it going? He said, well, he said, I'm still struggling, but you know what, I'm reading a lot of Scripture. Because every time he would struggle, he would open, take out his phone, and he would find a passage in Scripture, and he'd just keep reading until, until that thought went out of his mind, and he found himself thinking about the things of God, and before long he realized, you know, I'm spending a lot of time reading Scripture, and I'm liking it. I'm not having the same struggle I was. It's still a struggle. That's not what it was. Paul says, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know your actions, people see your thoughts, no one sees but you, but are you taking them captive to obey Christ? Maybe this area isn't a problem, but other areas are in your thought process. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul says we need to flee immorality. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. As we allow ourselves to, to allow the Word of God to filter through and to change the way that we think, and we will find that the t- temptations will still come, but the lingering, lustful looks and thoughts won't linger. It won't be there as long. Does it hurt to look? Well, according to the Pharisees' view, it didn't. But it does when that look is done in such a way that stimulates our lust. If our righteousness is going to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, then we need to make sure that we not only refrain from the act of adultery, but we're not allowing adultery to take place in our heart. Jesus was addressing something that I think many people in that time dealt with and I think many people in our time deal with. 
Jesus is going to the heart of the matter. If there is no desire in the heart, there will be no action in the life. How is your mind and heart in this area? Now maybe for you today, you're thinking, I don't struggle with this at all. Well, praise the Lord. Be thankful to God. Maybe today, though, you're a person here that you, you, are, you struggle with this a lot. You struggle with uh, this, uh, and, and maybe it's, you know, I've, I've dealt with people who have struggled with it because they're, they're heavy into pornography. I've dealt with people who struggle with it, and they're not into anything. It's just a normal thought process. We need to change the way we're thinking by renewing our mind. Is it something that happens overnight? No. But it's something that happens as we continually submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil. Temptation comes. We, we say no to temptation. And we, and we put it out of our mind and we continue to go to God for help. How is your mind and heart in this area? Let's pray.